Uh, we are delighted to have uh, members of the Mourn um, Young People's Fellowship with us tonight. And um, we, we know they're very keen to minister in song. We do thank you for Brother Gordon Emery uh, bringing them along again this evening. We are delighted, young people, to see you. We've been much in prayer. And we're going to ask you now to come and minister to us. You're going to sing two pieces. Thank you.
we do indeed thank the young people for coming all the way from Kilkeel tonight and for that ministry. And I have to tell you, young people, it thrills my soul uh, not only to hear young people singing, but especially when we sing about the blood uh, because we were taught in the Whitfield College of the Bible to, to make much of the blood, not only in our preaching, but also in our praise. And you know, you can even make much of the blood in relation to prayer because you can plead the efficacy of the blood before God and ask him on this ground to answer prayer. Now, we are especially delighted tonight to have Dr. Douglas with us, and we count it an honor uh, to have God's servant come all the way over from Lisburn. Um, relationship with Dr. Douglas and myself go way back many, many years into the time that I met him when we came into the Whitfield College of the Bible and I had the joy for a number of years of being his ministerial assistant in Lisburn and I still treasure those moments in learning under God's servant and, and what a learning experience it was and we're delighted he's here this evening we're going to ask him to come and minister to us now as the Lord has laid in his heart. It's a joy for me to be here this evening to have a part in this special week of testimony when uh, some of our ministers have come along to tell you how they met the Lord and what the Lord has done for them. What I want to do tonight is to turn you to two passages of Scripture, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. As far as the Old Testament goes, it's Psalm, Psalm 66. And we're going to look at a verse or two here, and then we'll make reference to 2 Timothy chapter 1. What the Word of God says is of infinite importance, particularly in reference to the testimony that one will have to the saving and keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ, how important it is to have that testimony. And just before we read from Psalm 66, the latter part of the psalm, we're going to ask the Lord to come by and speak unto us. We need the Lord's presence. Lord, we do thank Thee for the service tonight, for Thy presence with us, for the great messages and song we have listened to, and on some uh, instances we have taken part in the singing as well. We thank thee for the song of the soul set free, for those who can say heartily and confidently, since they have come to the Lord, the Lord has given them a new song, and what a joy that is to have a part in the singing of redemption song. Be with us this evening. Grant the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God with wisdom and with grace and with power that thy name may be magnified among us. We thank thee for those who belong to thee in the service. And we ask that those who are young in the faith may grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. And some who have been following the Lord for long years, may their hearts be filled with joy afresh tonight, contemplating all that the Lord has done for them. We pray for any who may not know the Lord yet, and perhaps in the service there are some among the young, some among those who are older, who have never really taken that step that matters to come and trust the Savior. O oh God, put thy hand upon us tonight and upon them and make this a night of salvation, a night of joy in heaven, because their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's Psalm 66, just some verses here from the psalm that I want you to look at, because these verses explain what a testimony is. Some of you may be asked to give a testimony in time to come, and it will be most important that you approach the giving of your testimony from the right standpoint. And we can't do better than to look at the words in front of us here, Psalm 66. You see, the Lord is showing us something 
about the testimony of a Christian. Well, we start with verse 16. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. And that's what a testimony really amounts to. It's not necessarily a life story. Uh, no doubt there are those with many incident, uh, many interesting incidents in their lives, but uh, the testimony of the Christian, first and foremost, is to speak about the Lord. This is a great verse. I want you who, those of you who are young, uh, to take this on board and look at this. Come and hear. All ye that fear God, and I will declare, I will tell you, I will tell you what he has done for my soul. And here's how he became a child of God. Verse 17. I cried unto him. Salvation is as simple as that. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And salvation that we speak of is a salvation from sin, from the world. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Then he says on his part, verse 19, But verily, truly, indeed, God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. And this is the benediction. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And I would say tonight, it's my desire to tell you what the Lord has done for my soul. But let's look at the other passage. That's 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Giving attention to verse 12. 2 Timothy 1 and 12. This is the last letter penned by the great apostle Paul. Just prior to his departure from this scene of time. And that adds solemnity to his words, doesn't it? 2 Timothy chapter 1. Everywhere Paul went, he was always telling others how he came to know the Lord. And that's part of the privilege of being a Christian. You have a message to bring. You can tell others of the Savior. And he tells us here in verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And in maintaining that testimony, he goes on to say in verse 13, Hold fast the form of sound words. We want to show tonight the importance of the word of God in the believer's life, of the importance of the word of God, first of all, to enlighten your heart, to bring you to the cross, the word of God which gives us assurance. Hold fast the form of sound words. And here is Paul's testimony. As it's discovered in this epistle, I know whom I have believed. It's verse 12 that tells us what it means to have a testimony, what it means to be a Christian. And I'm glad tonight uh, to be able to come along and to tell you how I met the Lord myself. I'm the oldest in a family of four, three boys and one girl. There was a boy born uh, apart from the rest of us. Uh, he sadly died in infancy. I, I barely remember. He was next in line after me. I was the oldest, as I'm saying, in the family, and he came next. But his time on earth was short. 
I seem to remember as a, a toddler that little white coffin that held his body, and I found that I could not really understand it then, although my parents tried to explain how that the Lord had taken him, but it was difficult for a child to grasp that. And I have thought about that quite often ever since, for I I fully expect to meet a young man in heaven, one related to me, a brother whom I never knew on earth. Because my thoughts go back to David when the little lad that was born to him uh, was taken in that terrible sickness that fell upon him. And David cried and made supplication unto God that the Lord might show favor and somehow restore health to the child. It was not to be. And in spite of his earnest prayer and supplication, a sickness prevailed. The courtiers in the royal household were timid about approaching the king. After all, they saw his deep concern and they whispered among themselves, one nudging the other in an effort to persuade uh, the, the foremost of them to go and tell the king. The king noticed how they were whispering together. He noticed that they were all affected in the manner that we have described, and he deemed right away the reason for their grief and embarrassment. And he said, is the child dead? And then he surprised them. And he said, can I bring him back? Can I bring him back again? He made this remarkable statement. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. There we have a very vivid testimony to the fact that dear ones in this life, even a tiny child, one who has been made the subject of much prayer, if the Lord has taken that little one, there is comfort. And my parents uh, would have had uh, the comfort of the Word of God, even at such a time. But I have thought of David's words, uh, and David indicates that uh, there's no such a thing as soul sleep. He's saying, can I bring him back? He knows that the soul of the child has departed. He also recognizes that the child is with the Lord. And David says, I shall go to him. He shall not return to me. He had that prospect of meeting that little lad of his in heaven. We don't always understand the ways of the Lord. But God has a purpose in everything. And I know in my own life that I can see God's hand in providential care. I know early on in life, um, my father joined uh, the army. He served with the Royal Ulster Rifles for a time. Then he transferred regiments into the Royal Corps of Signals. And all the time he was away, our family went out into the country we stayed with our grandfather on the farm, and I got to know about country life. I loved the farm. I loved being there in my grandfather's farm. I never wanted to leave because, to me, that was, that was the very essence of life. But time moves on, and eventually our family uh, came to that point where it was necessary to go into Belfast to live. And that was a dark day, a sad day for me, because my heart was out there in the country. But now, from the present standpoint in time, looking back, I can see the Lord's hand in that, preparing me for those later years that were to come for the gospel ministry. Because when I lived in the country, I learned about farming life, I got to know how to speak to those who uh, dwelt in the country and were familiar with that lifestyle. 
And then later when I moved into the town, I learned about city life as well. We, we came to live in an area not very far from the old Ravenhill Church. Uh, my father um, was very insistent that the family would go to his church on a Sunday morning. That was a long way off in the city. And I reckon that uh, although I would need to walk it out now and, and test it for time, but I reckon it took us nearly an hour to get there walking. Very few people had cars in those times. And we had to walk, and oftentimes bad weather, you will know that living in Northern Ireland is not a matter of sunshine every Sabbath. But sometimes we had tough a tough walk and getting back again. And mother said, well, if you have to go there on a Sunday morning, we better look around and get a Sunday school. That's much nearer to hand. It wouldn't be suitable having gone that long walk in the morning and then that long walk back again uh, to um, think to go away there to the Sunday school. So there'll be Sunday schools here much nearer to hand. And we did try a few Sunday schools. Until at length I found myself going to a Sunday school and the name of that place was Ravenhill Evangelical Mission Church. That was the church that in later times became Ravenhill Free Presbyterian Church. And just then Dr. Paisley had come as a young man to commence his ministry on the Ravenhill Road. And there were occasions, I would say quite often in his preaching, when he referred to me as being the first convert in his ministry. Though he came in the month of August 1946, and I know that on one of those Sundays in that month I came to know the Lord. But it was chiefly through the ministry in the Sunday school and I say this to encourage Sunday school teachers and children's workers because oftentimes uh, when uh, circumstances change, the devil torments you, he afflicts you with the thought. Those children are not listening. The word isn't bearing any fruit. And as a consequence, some people find it may be disheartening. But I can say, yes, I'm a product in a way. I'm a product of the Sunday school. Let me tell you about the Sunday school class. A gentleman came. I, I know his name all right, but it wouldn't do just to repeat names in our congregations. Uh, but he was our Sunday school teacher. There we gathered every Sunday afternoon uh, around the Word of God. But he didn't come consistently. And there was no explanation ever why on a given Sunday he didn't turn up. If you're a Sunday school teacher, it's very important for you to be faithful because I can speak from the point of view of the young person looking for a teacher to come and anxious to hear the message God has given him or given her in the circumstances. And my teacher didn't always come and that puzzled me and it still does to this day. Whatever the arrangement was, he engineered things to send his wife when he didn't come. I don't know if they asked permission of the Sunday school superintendent. That's another thing that I have in mind as a question. Did they, did they even think it necessary to talk to the superintendent and say, no, my wife wishes to come on Sunday? Or was it a case of him saying... Uh, no, I feel a bit tired this weekend. I'll just send my wife. And he would send his wife. But the Lord was in that. For uh, the gentleman himself didn't really have the gift of teaching that his wife had. And he could not present the gospel of Christ in all its clarity and conviction the way she could. And I recognized that. And I think that every child in that class could discern that as well. She had a great gift in teaching the gospel and applying the message. She never missed the point. 
There she would have her Bible open, looking at the young people in the class and saying to them when it was appropriate, have you come to know the Lord? How do you stand with God? She made us think. She made me think. I felt a growing conviction there because in earlier years out in the country, we did go to church and went very faithfully, although again we had to walk a long, long way in all sorts of weather. But I never recollect, never recollect once ever hearing the gospel. Even went to Sunday school out there in the country. I never recollect once ever learning that I had a soul needing salvation. And when I came to Ravenhill Road Evangelical Mission Church, where Mr. Paisley had commenced his ministry, here I was brought to be acquainted with the gospel. And through her teaching, and I had an aunt as well, who uh, taught me uh, a lot about the things of God. And I must say, I loved reading, and I read my Bible. I read my Bible as a child so that I was quite familiar with the Word of God. I, I didn't know the way of salvation. I wasn't familiar with the fact that all men were sinners and sorely needed salvation. I wasn't clear about that. But I knew the Bible history. I knew about the prophets and the kings, the life of Abraham going right through the Old Testament, I spent a great deal of time reading my Bible. That never left me. And there I resolved, listening to the application of the message in the Sunday school class at Raven Hill, I resolved to come to Christ. It wasn't an easy thing. It was a struggle. I put it off Sunday after Sunday until at length that conviction deepened to such a degree that I felt, oh, I have to get this cleared up. I need to settle things. And so I resolved on a given Sunday, and as I say, that was the month of August, way back in 1946. That nearly makes me as old as Methuselah, but uh, not quite I'm not quite in his league yet. But there, I stayed behind. I was much surprised that day because ordinarily I would see teachers. Uh, they had uh, reigned behind after the classes dispersed. So there was any amount of teachers about. Not a soul this day. It was striking. Nobody. I couldn't explain it. But yet I, I, I lingered. And eventually, I saw a teacher leave a room. Uh, it happened to be at the entrance to the building. I didn't understand it, but they were having a teacher's meeting that day. I found out later they were having a teacher's meeting. That explains why there wasn't one teacher about. And I couldn't say to one of them, uh, could you tell me how to become a Christian? Well, length this person... He noticed me and asked, was there something that I wanted to uh, learn? And I told him, I'd like to be a Christian. And we said, wait till I get the minister. Now, that raises a point. Although we did the right thing honoring uh, the newly established minister in Raven Hill, he did the right thing all right. But it would be a mistake, on the other hand, for Christians to say, I couldn't lead a soul to Christ. How important it is if you're a Christian that you not only know your Bible, but you know the gospel as well as that which I'm describing, whereby you could lead a soul to Christ. And he said, I'll get the minister. Um, Mr. Paisley came. If we were all able to go to the old Ravenhill church tonight, and look at the seating. If the seating had been uh, on such a visit, just the same as it was back then, I could take you to the very seat where we sat down together. He had the book of God in his hand. 
He opened the word and he pointed me to Christ. By explaining the way of salvation, showing how the Lord Jesus Christ paid the debt that we could never pay. And through his precious blood, atonement was made. So I learned the gospel ABCs that day, sitting there beside him in the seat. And then he came to apply the gospel to show me from John 6 and 37. I, I remember it yet. John 6 and 37. It's, it might as well be six months ago. He was showing me him that cometh unto me. He explained that now I had come to the point where as a lost sinner I was going to take that step and come to the Lord. He was showing me the certainty of the promise. Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. And I came that day and the Lord took me in. And then he reached another point. Having come to the Lord, he felt it was his task then to explain what it was to live the Christian life. And that's part and parcel of instructing a young Christian. To show that person not only how to be saved, how to come to the Lord, but how to live for him. To read God's word every day. To meet with the Lord in prayer. And then he touched on this point. By confessing Christ. I had my own thoughts on that matter. I felt that if I'm sincere in coming to the Lord, that's a matter between me and the Lord. Amazing how children have views uh, themselves about the things they hear. And I had that view. I, I, I'm a believer now. I've trusted Christ. And it's nobody else's business. Nobody else needs to say a thing about that. I have Christ now in my heart, and that would be sufficient. So he said to me, now, quoting Romans 10 and 9, you know, the chorus, that's a favorite verse of mine, confessing Christ is Lord, I'm saved by grace divine. So he quoted that and showed me it. I, I had to confess the Lord. I indicated to him I had a difficulty with that. And being already the evangelist that he was, the evangelist in the making, he would not let go of me while I remained in that uh, condition of uncertainty. He said, you're not going to leave this seat until you say before God that you'll confess Christ as your Savior today. He held me to the point he showed me the authority for that in God's precious word. And I, I said, yes, I'll confess the Lord. And I did. And that was the making of me as a Christian, to confess Christ. Here in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, you see the outline of salvation and uh, insofar as it affects the Apostle Paul. Look at the words, if you will, because they help me to relive that moment there in the old Ravenhill church when I became a Christian. You need to know where you stand with God. Salvation's not a matter of feeling. And somebody here could make that mistake Indeed, you could confuse faith and feeling. And you could imagine that my faith, speaking of yourself, your personal faith, is tied up with your feelings. In other words, you may feel you're a Christian and you have faith in Christ because you feel that way. You don't want to depend on feelings. You've got to see the difference between feelings and faith and faith rests in the word of God. And that's where 2 Timothy 1 and 12 comes in. Paul says uh, that he, he knows whom he has believed. There's the first thing about salvation. Salvation is to be described. Let me press this upon you because 
It's important for us, no matter what testimony we listen to, it's so important for us ourselves to know how we stand personally with God. And if you look at uh, verse 12, you'll see in the first instance with the apostle, his faith. But this is a description of saving faith here, men and women. Saving faith knows Christ. Faith is not feeling then. Faith is coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I know, he says, I know the person whom I have believed. I know him. So if the Lord saves you and you're confessing Christ, you can say to others, I have come to know the Lord. Let me illustrate this. In John 17, our Lord is at prayer. And he's saying this in that great prayer, John chapter 17 and verse 3. This is life eternal that they might know thee. And that says it clearly. This is life eternal. Somebody said, what is it to have everlasting life? What does it consist of? How is faith, saving faith to be described? Saving faith is not feeling, but saving faith is knowing Christ, that they might know thee. Do you see that, verse 3? And if we had more time tonight, we could explore this further and show elsewhere from Scripture how salvation comes down to this very point where you can say, I know the Lord now. It's not just the prayer you offer. It's not just the sincerity you possess. It's the fact that you personally have come to know the Lord as your Savior. That's part and parcel of being a possessor of everlasting life, that they might know thee. That day when we knelt on the floorboards, Dr. Paisley didn't even have a cushion to kneel on. He knelt on that floorboard beside me. And... Together we prayed, and I prayed the sinner's prayer and came to Christ that day. I came to know the Lord, and immediately I got up from my knees. I knew. I knew I was a child of God. It's a wonderful thing to become a Christian. And do you see that when you come to know the Lord personally, you've got assurance. And how significant that is. Because that's in our verse as well, 2 Timothy 1 and 12. For he says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. What does that mean? The word persuaded? I have assurance, in other words. I have assurance that he is able to keep there are souls in Carriduff and Lisburn too who are saying, well, I could be a Christian, but I could never keep it. You're absolutely right. You could never keep God's salvation. There isn't one person in this house tonight who could keep God's salvation. The Lord's the keeper. You read in the book of Genesis of Abel, the shepherd. And the first notable thing about him is he was a keeper of the sheep. He was a keeper of the sheep. And Paul is saying here, not only that he knows Christ now, personally, but he says, I have this persuasion. He is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. He thinks of that time when he gave his heart to Christ. And now the Lord Jesus is the keeper. Neither you nor I could keep God's salvation, but the Lord does the keeping. And he keeps our feet many a time when we're walking in a dangerous path. He says here, he's able. It's the ability of Christ to save that matters. I must tell you this. A young man came to see me when I was a minister in Lisburn. Yes, he was a Christian and a, a fine fellow too. It wasn't a shade of difficulty. As far as my impression of him was concerned, not a question. I took him to be a very sincere believer, and in fact he was. 
He was so sincere that his sincerity troubled him. And he said, explaining his situation to me, he said, I have come. I have asked the Lord to save me. I have trusted Christ. But he said, I have this great burden in my soul. It's nearly tormenting me, he said. When I came to the Lord, this was his question. When I came to the Lord, I've got to examine my faith. Now, was I sincere enough, he says. Was I sincere enough in asking the Lord to save me? And further, he says, a two-part question he had. I remember it yet. He said, did I have faith enough? In that moment when I trusted the Lord, did I have faith enough in him to come into the possession of God's salvation? I said, I can answer those questions. You said, first of all, was I sincere enough? I said, the answer to that is no. You were not sincere enough. You had the question, did I believe with sufficient strength that moment when I asked the Lord to save me? Was my faith good enough? Was my faith strong enough? I said to him, no, it was not. He said, well, then that's terrible that you should tell me that because what hope do I have? How am I to look at my heart, my life, my, my, my standing before God? I said, just think of it this way. Uh, that if you were saved by the depth of your sincerity, and if you were saved by the strength of your faith, then you'd be saved by your own effort. And you're not saved by the Lord. When you come to know the Lord, I said... You have to rest in him only. And it's Christ alone. Way beyond my sincerity. It's not my, no, it's important to be sincere. Yes, it's important to have faith in Christ. But the exercise of these properties in themselves will not just make you a new creature. Salvation is in Christ himself. Look at verse 12, you see. This is where Paul's persuasion comes into it, that he is able to keep that which I've committed. He does the work. His is a perfect salvation. And I'm glad that it doesn't depend on anything that I have done or could do. It's what he has done. That's salvation. I have come to rest in Christ on Christ alone, I've come to rest on the merit, the merit of his work, not the merit of mine. It's not my merit that saves me. It's his. I rest on him. And that young man, that very night we had prayer together, he went away not discouraged as, as first he thought, but he went away strengthened in the faith of Christ. He never needed to come back with those questions. The matter was settled. He could see that his faith in Christ, it's Christ that saves. He is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And look at this. This salvation looks out into God's eternity. You see there, against that day, that great day is coming. You may think of the day of death when a soul leaves this world forever. You may think of the day of judgment when the Lord opens the books and men are judged according to those things that are written in the book. You may think of that day when the trumpet sounds and our Savior comes again. And here's a salvation that will stand the test of eternity. Even against that day, Paul says, when I have come and rested my faith in him, he says... I have this assurance. He is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. When that day comes, could it be the day of death? 
When you leave this world forever, you go out into God's eternity. Do you have a salvation that keeps the soul in the hour of death? How about that? If this were your last night, dear friend, in this service, what about your soul? How do you stand with God against that day, the day when I have to say goodbye forever to all things earthly? Or it may be the day of judgment when God opens the books and the dead stand before God. How will you fare in the great judgment day if your heart is not right? When, if you do not have that righteousness which is found in Christ, and you go out into eternity depending on your own righteousness, which is just, the Bible says, it's just like filthy rags. Your soul will be left in a sad state entirely. On the day when the Lord comes back again, and the trumpet sounds, Paul says, I, I have a faith here in Christ which will stand the test of that great day. I like the way it ends when he says here, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. He's not ashamed of Christ. I wonder how many here tonight have learned the lesson that I had to learn as a young person back there in the old Ravenhill church and Mr. Paisley knelt down on the floorboards. He was using kneeling because those floorboards were hard, no cushions there. And he led me to the Lord. And he drove home the point with such precision. You have to confess Christ now that you've come to him. I wonder, are you confessing the Lord? It's no, it's no coincidence that as the Lord guided Mr. McLaughlin as to the speakers for this week, and ministers would come along the various nights to testify to God's saving grace, it's no coincidence that I'm here tonight and you're here. And we have to say, is it true that you've been hiding the faith of Christ away in your heart and you haven't been really confessing the Lord at all. Maybe your parents don't know that you're a Christian. You haven't told them. Maybe some friends, if you're at school, maybe you've never confessed Christ there. Some of you are in employment. Nobody in that place where you're employed knows you're a Christian. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? just because you have never confessed Christ. How important it is that you not only know the Lord, but you take your place as a Christian. I remember before I went into the ministry, it won't take long to tell this, I personally felt since I was employed in the building industry, not that I would have... Uh, been all that productive, although I did my best. Well, I was meeting different men every week. I resolved this, that I wouldn't be five minutes in a job among certain people, but I let them know where I stood. Let them know I was a Christian, because I felt before long, if I don't confess Christ, I'll be hearing the Lord's name and blasphemy, or some other things will will crop up in conversation and I'll be in difficulty with my testimony. I need to confess the Lord right away or as near to that as I possibly could, and I did. And then I was astonished to see some man in that employment who said to me quietly, ah, but I am a Christian. I'd never guessed it. There was nothing wrong with their lives they were living the life all right, straight up and down. Nothing wrong that way. They'd never confessed Christ. Nobody knew they were saved. What about your friends? Do they know where you stand? So important, you confess Christ. Here tonight, as our service ends, I gave you two wonderful texts. You remember the first one? The first one tells us 
what a testimony is to consist of. Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I want you to know before you go away tonight, I want you to know what the Lord has done for me. Made me a child of the King. And then the second text that I took explains what it is to be a Christian. I know, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that great day. Wouldn't it be a dreadful thing if you participated in this service and then went out into God's eternity and found after all that you never really knew the Savior. And although you attended a meeting like this, personally, you had never come to that point where you got right with God. Oh, may the Lord speak tonight to every heart, and then we can rejoice together in what the Lord has done. You can say what he has done for this soul of mine. Amen.